Tonight is called Talking Shop, Life on the Glossies. I'll get these guys to introduce themselves in a minute. I've got Fiona McGowan, who uh, features editor for Manor Magazine. And I'm also joined by Joe Barnes, who um, is former Falmouth alumni. Um, did journalism here a long time ago. Mm. Not that long ago. <laughs> and um, has been editor of FHM, Front Magazine, worked on Men's Fitness. Yeah. Done a whole gamut of things. Now does stuff with Google and people like that. But I'll get Joe to introduce himself in a minute. Mr. Chatfield over there, so thank you for joining us, Andy. Sorry, Busy day. Uh, guys, what I really want you to do as well tonight is, once you, once you think of questions, just chuck in questions and make the most of these guys, because they're really good contacts for you as well. So firstly, I'm going to introduce, get Joe to introduce himself. So Joe, could you talk about a bit about Falmouth University, what you did, talk about your first job in journalism, and then up to where you are now with your current job, please. Okay, I'm trying to... As quick as I can. Well, so, no rush. Okay. Um, so I graduated in 2003 from Falmouth, and had, just saying, I just didn't. I remember that day when I went back across the Tamar. It was gutting because I just didn't want to leave, basically. Um, but you know, trying to make a living down here looked looked harder than sort of going to London. So I sort of had to make the move to London. And that first like year, well, that first six months in London was just near on sort of horrific it was just like you know I remember like going to work or going around on the tube like almost like in tears well sometimes in tears and then ringing editors sometimes I get through to them and they go like oh no all I remember ringing FHM actually and then I'd sent some from a call box as well because I'd never go <laughs> it's how long ago it was yeah. back um, so I rang the editor and finally got through to him and sent some ideas he goes no they're all rubbish you know they're the sort of like, things we would have published five years ago and yeah, so, you know, and I should have probably persisted on that. But any, and I think he was right, actually, because, you know, you pitch to titles and you actually probably don't know them well enough uh, when you pitch an idea. Um, I did some work experience at The Guardian and uh, Telegraph, local newspaper, things like that. And then I went to Front Magazine and did an internship because... My brother knew somebody there. So it was just like using sort of contacts. All of it was like just like network people, anybody you know, trying to get in to get a bit of work experience. Because that is just, you know, that was, that was how to get into the industry then. I think it was how to, uh, how to get into the industry 40 years ago and it's how to get into the industry now. It's just it was the same. So like, it's, you know, trying to meet people uh, and to try and get in and sort of like get your foot in the door. It's really important. And then at Front Magazine, it just sort of, there was, Lots of opportunities, it ended up being quite fun, so I sort of didn't leave, I just kept sort of coming back into the office and ended up like reviewing films for them and things like that and then, so I was, I was the worky there and then somehow they made me the editor two years later, which was a bit weird. It was all, it was just, all just going really wrong and then they just somebody just came up to me and goes, would you like to be the editor? I was like, okay, I'll give it a go. And so there, I, yeah, I did that, edited that for four years, and that was really... Uh, yeah, just interesting, sort of just learning on the job because you go from being a writer to having to manage a team, to manage a brand, think about marketing, think about then it was like the emergence of sort of like social media, so it was like a social media strategy, uh, all these sort of things as well as just like what I'd learned here in Falmouth. Um, and then I got headhunted by Bauer Media to go and edit FHM because that was a sort of fading title and they wanted that to sort of... They wanted to sort of reinvigorate it, make it sort of more youthful, more uh, uh, contemporary, and that was really that's owned by a German multi-billionaire family who still own the company. So had to deal with like 
go and pitch, pitch to like a 90 year old German guy who'd given the, the business to his, his daughter and his daughter was there and he was sort of like speaking to them all of this sort of like, so, and it was going, so going from something that was sort of very punk and very, uh, just sort of make it up as you go along to something very, very sort of like structured and corporate was a really uh, big sort of challenge for me. Ended up in the HR department a few times, <laughs> so I didn't realise it was like, uh, yeah. did a, a really good job there, sort of built a new uh, a team of like people who've gone on to like really great jobs across the industry, um, really sort of talented individuals, now working in places like BBC Three and um, sh um, Stylist and Shorts Media and places like that and Guardian and that was just sort of like, and that, so I built just a really great team of sort of like interesting and uh, interested people. It was a really young team. Uh, so they made, I think we made a really good product. We got like, we built up our sort of Facebook following to, I think it's 4.5 million. And then sort of then I got headhunted to go to Dennis Publishing to work on Men's Fitness um, magazine. And that was the sort of the same sort of brief. And I sort of got quite frustrated at FHM as well because they're sort of like, I'm sort of quite digitally focused and they were sort of very, still very print based. And I got asked to go to men's fitness to sort of reposition them. So my job is often going into somewhere and repositioning it. It's like the, what we're currently doing isn't working. Let's reposition it uh, for a new market, a new audience. How do you disseminate? How do you work that out then? What, how do you reposition it? I think that's just sort of knowing the audience. That's sort of like, because it's, you know, FHM had just lost touch with what it was to be a young, a young man. It was sort of stuck in this sort of like 1990s mode and, you know, it's sort of like uh, misogynistic and... Uh, well, just, it felt a bit like hateful towards the world I felt a little bit so it was like it was just give it sort of more make it feel more sort of contemporary to like what guys were like so do you, right do you do focus groups to identify we did a bit of, we did a bit of it I'm just like it's interesting mm. today we, people did a lot of surveys but you can't you know, the skill of listening to people is like they, they don't it's like it's what they don't say you have to try and pick they'll say loads of things like they want all these things and it's like you know, they'll always go to you like, oh, we just want loads of reviews. And it's like, no, that's the last thing they want. They don't want reviews at all. But just, they sort of say what they, uh, you know, they, so it's trying to sort of unpick, unpick what they're, the, what they're, they're feeling more than what they're, what they're actually saying. So that's, you know, it's trying to smell out their sort of like, uh, uh, you know, what they, because magazine brands, it's the same whether it's print or a brand, they sit in a really aspirational space, like where people want anybody that connects with a magazine brand usually because they want to better themselves in some way. Whatever, almost any brand. Maybe some 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 of them are escapism, but usually it's like I want to I want to sort of take myself somewhere. You know, I want to step one step forward. Um, so yeah, so that's what. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And whereabouts are you now? Where are you now? So yeah, so I left Men's Fitness and sort of decided that. The way the industry was, there wasn't any jobs out there that I could apply for. I mean, there's like, you know, there's not that many editor jobs these days. It's a sort of declining industry, sort of standard, um, uh, sort of the print world. And I thought, so I'm going to have to make a job for myself. So I decided to launch my own business, Uncanny Valley. Uh, and that is basically taking the sort of like the magazine sort of skill set and how we sort of approach magazines and bringing that for, uh, for brands. So... So we work with people like Google where we say like they they want that sort of human sort of voice to their so we do storytelling for them and we use that sort of like uh, 
the way we would for a magazine, so taking some quite complex subjects and sort of filtering them out into what really matters and to make it sound sort of engaging and, and human. So did uh, work for Guinness, where we, we were telling like the story of Guinness and like why you get a Guinness moustache was one of the things we did. And again, it's sort of like a very sort of journalistic sort of magazine way. So I think like the magazine craft is really, really relevant for now. And actually every brand um, wants that magazine voice. They want to sound sort of like, uh, want to be able to engage their readers on blog or on a print product or on social. And if a magazine doesn't, if a brand doesn't quite get that right, doesn't get that magazine voice, then they, they it, it's, it is the uncanny valley. It feels like a bit weird. You know, like a robot. You know, like a robot that's meant to look human, and it makes you feel like it's a bit creepy. And that's the idea behind the companies that we sort of like. It's getting rid of that creepiness and feeling, feeling genuine and human. And yeah, and so and there's a appear, appears to be a demand for it enough to run the business for two two and a half years. So you're still writing content. You're still producing things, editing. Yeah, so I, and then I do, through the business, so I was asked to go to Gentleman's Journal and sort of work on their sort of digital positioning, the positioning of the brand, and sort of help them sort of build their team. And they, I think that's a really interesting business model because they do six issues a year. I think we're going to change to four because there's no... Uh, and they're doing a Gentleman's Journal Club where it's loads and loads, you get discounts, there's event, members' events, and it's for a very sort of select, uh, high-earning audience. And that just feels where sort of print is. And, um, so now, and then they asked me to edit the website, so I do that as well. So it's really good fun. I actually really enjoy doing sort of straight-up editorial. But it's, uh, it's interesting how all the, sort of the worlds are sort of merging together. Mm. Yeah. Fiona, same question. Where did you start? How did you get your first job in journalism? Um, where have you been? Where are you now? Right. Well, my, my experience in journalism is actually quite different from yours. It was very not driven. I wasn't very driven into journalism. I, I sort of wanted to get into it, but I didn't have the, not the vaguest clue how to do it. So I sort of fell into it. And, um, yeah, so I started, I did an English degree initially. And I, I wasn't, you know, throughout university, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I wanted to write stuff. <laughs> I liked working with words, and that was as simple as it got. And I wasn't uh, particularly driven at university to think, oh, you know, it'd be good to get involved in the student magazine, which is very important. I wish I had. I didn't. I was too busy down the pub. And uh, so for three years, I was down the pub and writing a few essays about books. And then I, I kind of still had this dream in the back of my mind. You know, there were sort of aspirational figures in my life where I thought, oh, perhaps I'd like to be a reporter. And I'd like to, but it was all very fantasy. And I ended up living in Malaysia, teaching English, uh, having fun, really, travelling and having a really good time. And by chance, as you can in Asia, I sort of fell into a job in working for a, a big Hong Kong newspaper. Um, very randomly met a bloke in a bar and uh, he sort of introduced me to someone and I got a job randomly uh, with no experience at all, um, producing these sort of international business reports no background, no experience, and I fell into it. Um, that doesn't happen in the UK, but it definitely happens in Asia, or it did then. So I got this job, and I, I was sent to Hamburg, and I had to go and live in Hamburg for three months and interview all these really important senior executives, and I had no clue what I was doing. I'd never even worn a suit before, you know, I just didn't. And I, was, I felt as though I was a charlatan. I felt like I was winging it the whole time. Um, but I met, you know, the head of Aldi and the head of 
in these big, big companies like Siemens and stuff. And I, it gave me some kind of confidence that I could actually talk to these people as normal human beings, you know, someone I'd met for a coffee or whatever. And I, I got stuff out of them. I got them to be very positive. Um, but in the end, our whole job was to talk to these people and then try and sell advertising space. So they were self-funded. They were these sort of, um, sort of inserts that go inside newspapers. And they were, to me, it was all about sales. And it, I wasn't interested. And I felt like I was lying the whole time. I'd go and interview these people pretending I was a journalist. But in fact, I was trying to sell advertising space. And I hated it. I did it for a year. Worked in Hamburg. I worked in Munich. And I went back to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And amazing experiences. I felt, you know, I learned so much. Well, I certainly learned I hated sales. That was not my bag. I was rubbish at it as well. Never sold anything. Basically, I, if I hadn't left, I'd have got fired. Um, and then I ended up back in London thinking, okay, well, you know, I've got some experience. And, you know, I've lived all over the place. I've travelled the world. I've got to get a job. And like you, I ended up unemployed. Crying on the tube, <laughs> uh, temping, doing these awful rubbish jobs. You know, I'd be, I'd be either on the dole or temping. It was just crap. I had, you know, quite a long time and doing. So I did an internship at a magazine, uh, voluntary service overseas, which is an NGO that sends young people out to go do good deeds around the world. And they had a brilliant magazine, and I loved it. And I really got into the idea of working on magazines. So I'm like, right, this is it. I want to be in magazines. And I ended up doing an awful job as an editorial assistant, which is... Right at the bottom. Right at the bottom, yeah. very bottom, basically sort of doing what everybody else wants you to do. Mm. And, you know, I'd had this experience of, of dealing with these really senior people, and I'd had all this experience of writing and interviewing, and suddenly I was there having to hand out envelopes to the editor and, you know, buying people's lunches. And it was horrible, it was really mortifying. A bit better than being on a doll, but not that much. <laughs> and uh, so I got fired <laughs> for insubordination or something after three months. Uh, I wasn't very good at handing out envelopes and taking orders for lunches. So that was uh, sort of my introduction. It was it was called Marketing Week, um, and it was quite a big weekly, and it was very it was a very full on process. So I kind of observed the process. I never felt like I'd ever be part of it because it felt like all these people had gone straight in from journalism school and there was me with all my random experience. And I kind of thought, oh, I'm never getting anywhere. Applying for every job I ever saw in The Guardian. And then by chance, I was temping um, and I went into the wrong interview. <laughs> and I ended up getting a job on the magazine. So I basically went in for an interview as a sort of receptionist at the Ministry of Sound Club in London, which was at the time the sort of mega club. And uh, I sort of went in with my CV for the interview and they looked at my CV and thought, oh, she must be here for the magazine job. And so I went in and interviewed for a job on the magazine. And it was a job as a sub-editor, which is... Um, I don't know how much you know about sub-editing. I didn't know much, I can tell you that much. But Nobody I can't ever knows what sub-editing is. It came my career, so it's a good thing I lied. So basically I went in and they said, you know, they asked me lots of things about magazines. I made it up as I went along. They asked me if I could do Quark Express, which is the precursor to InDesign. I said yes, no flipping idea how to do that. And, uh, and they asked me if, why I wanted to be a sub-editor, and I said, oh, I love them. 
editing. <laughs> I like working with words and uh, yeah, I made it up as I went along and I got the job. So I ended up starting work on a Monday morning and I also had to convince them that I was really knowledgeable about clubbing because it was the clubbing magazine at the time, Ministry magazine. There were two clubbing magazines at the time, Ministry and Mix Mag, were the two, and it was one of the big ones. So I was just completely blown away, but there I was, I got the job, because, partly because I had the CV that showed that I had editorial experience. So yes, went and got that job and um, became taught myself how to be a sub-editor on, on the fly, basically, while I was there. I learned how to do Quark, and with the help of a very subversive designer who was sitting next to me, how do I do this? How do I move that? And I fell in love with it. I absolutely love the job. It's very mechanical in lots of ways. It's about cutting words to fit on a page, basically. So you've got your layout, you've got all your pictures, and then you've got a certain number of words that the designer has flowed in, and there's often tons of copy hanging over the end when you just get that. And it, especially if it's a visually a picture-driven magazine, the designer wants big pictures, and you've got loads of content. And so your job is to try and fit and cut and trim and sculpt the article to fit around the page. And I flipping loved it. I just love working with words. And I, I understood how to get the tone from the writer, not lose that tone, not lose anything of their style and the quality of their writing, and somehow cut out two, three, four hundred, five hundred <coughs> words. And, um, and then there's a lot to do with, the, interestingly, to do with the visual as well. So you have to actually sort of sometimes make the words have a nice shape, you know, the actual pattern of it in paragraphs. And loved it. So I got into that and I basically did that for quite a long time at Ministry. Wild times. It was actually inside the club, the magazine, uh, our office. And we'd often, we were terrible. We would get into work late and it was a sort of celebration of how wild everything <laughs> was, you know. If you're in before 10, you're too square. And, uh, <laughs> and everybody was always on some sort of come down at any <laughs> one point. But because of that, we were always late with everything we did, you know. The copy came in late, you know. We'd get copy from, you know, wild clubbing types who were out in Ibiza and didn't submit their copy. So we were always working, you know, to the 11th hour. In press week, and we worked till about midnight sometimes. But we had a little secret door that went straight from the office into the club. <laughs> you open the door at midnight, all right, down tools, put everything down, open the door, and, <laughs> and we just walk in and go clubbing till about five, go back to work again. <coughs> so that was good times. And then I kind of, after that, I ended up working in quite a lot of lifestyle magazines. I ended up in a magazine called Wallpaper, which is sort of it was the big design architecture sort of style magazine at the time. And then I ended up, it, it, very quickly actually at that magazine, I became something called a chief sub-editor, who's basically managing the whole process of getting the content when it first arrives, the written copy from there, from when it first arrives in the Word document to when it goes out to the repro house, which is where they go and lay out all the pages to print. And my whole job was to manage that entire process. I had to employ other sub-editors. And I was pretty young still. I was probably late 20s, which probably seems old to you. Seems young to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of was winging it again, because I had this really senior role, and I was pretty not very knowledgeable. And um, 
it was amazing. I mean, I learned how to manage to be a manager. It's like you when you first became an editor. It's like, oh, God. I think you're always winning it, aren't you? It's a real shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I basically did that, and I ended up working lots of lifestyle magazines, especially in sort of interior design. I ended up having worked in wallpaper, I sort of typecast as the interior design girl. So I worked at L Decoration, um, Country Homes and Interiors, which is very cute. And, uh, and quite a lot of other kind of cool magazines. But then I just thought, well, my life was about, I had no career intentions. I knew I was never going to make those of money doing what I did. So I went, right, well, you know, I just want to live. So I would work for 10 months of the year, freelancing, anywhere who would take me. And then I'd bugger off for two months. I'd take my backpack and I'd go to Thailand or I'd go to Philippines or New Zealand, Mexico, and go rock climbing, which is my thing. And uh, that was my life, basically. I had no interest in um, going down your path <laughs> of, you know, sort of being more driven towards sort of managing or being in charge or succeeding in a sort of financial sense. It was about, I love my job, I love sub-editing, and I love <clears> travelling. But I also yearned to be a writer the whole time. And... I'm going to quickly sum up now. Shh, shut up. <laughs> I ended up, after a long time, I ended up moving down here, had kids, moved down here, and ended up features editor at this magazine called Manor, which is the regional magazine that you've probably seen going around. Somewhere. And I'm now writing all the time, and I've totally reached the pinnacle of my career as far as I'm concerned. I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. How do you get your headspace in? From Do you look at the magazine and want to... Sub it now, money. No, not at all. In fact, I, it, if somebody gave me an InDesign program, I'd sit there like a complete luddite, going, <laughs> "What? How do you do this?" So yeah, it's it's like I have now become a writer, and that's all I'm interested in. And I, I found my passion so late in life, but I've really, although subbing was a, a means to an end for me, I really enjoyed it, and it, it enabled me to go and go travelling and go partying and do my thing. Now I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is what I love. We both touched on this briefly, but I assume that you're tasked with coming up with ideas for Manor Magazine. Mm. How, do you, how do you come up, how do you pitch ideas, how do you come up with ideas, who do, you, who do you want to profile in the magazine, how do you get future content? So it's all, it's, it's what I want to see, is what I want to read, I'm so selfish. I just want a magazine which is full of content that I would read. So I think, okay, what am I interested I'm interested in, in people who are doing things for the benefit of society and for the environment. Those things kind of buzz me up. So I find people who have those kind of results in their jobs. So it might even be a furniture designer who uses reclaimed wood, or it might be um, an architect who's really into building eco-housing, or it might be a charity that's doing amazing things in the Yemen or something like that. But they're all things that are based around Devon and Cornwall. So next week, this week, I'm doing a feature on this organisation called Cool Earth, which is based in Falmouth. And they, they basically, they bought these swathes of rainforest and they're helping to protect them and encouraging the local communities to protect their rainforest. So these things are really interesting to me. Um, I do sometimes get asked to do commissions by my editor, but mostly she takes stuff from me, so I feed into her. The commissions I get asked to do are usually review a hotel and you can get to stay there a night and I hate them because it, it really troubles, it's nice to stay in the hotel but for my journalistic integrity 
to be able to write a review of something knowing that they've already given me a freebie is always a challenge. Do they ask for copy approval on that as well? No, I don't ever give it. We talked about this the other day. Can you <laughs> copy so approval cool. is when you have to send it to, we had an incident recently, didn't we, yeah. at work? Um, you send it to the hotel and then they check all your copy and then they can doctor your yeah. copy. That's it. As, to me, that's quite thermal. Yeah, yeah, so before I meet them, I say, look, you know, here's the deal. This is the way I write. And I show them reviews that I write. And I do warts and all. I don't tend to pull back if there's some element of the environment around me that's kind of challenging or interesting I will always include it I won't necessarily slag it off but I always try and make it real I, I you know I've said if you want advertising you pay for it <laughs> you know we're giving you editorial content you know you should be grateful I'm not gonna of course I'm not gonna slag off a hotel that I've stayed in but I'm also not going to be writing a puff piece um, and it's very important to me that I keep that that sort of distinction so yes, I don't give copy approval. There's a few, I've, you know, I've interviewed a few celebrities who've asked for copy approval. And often I just forget because I don't normally do it. So they'll call me up and say, we've just received your magazine. We never got copy approval. I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll print an apology if there's anything you don't like. So I sort of Which celebrities have asked for copy approval? Um... Amazingly, Robert Plant didn't, so he was the lead singer of a band called Led Zeppelin, which you've probably heard of, um, and he was one of the most kind of important people I've interviewed, and I didn't really know who he was very well before I interviewed him. I wasn't a Led Zepp fan. Um, he didn't. He was an absolute charming person. Um, weirdly, it's things like architects and things, and they're just worried that I might say something that will put them... Uh, in a bad view in among developers and stuff like that um so yeah not not too many but it's often people who are a bit worried about their impact and that i might say something that comes across as wrong about them really and, but, um, and hotels i just say no you know you get what you get this i'm interested to know what joe's take on this is because you talked a lot about brand repositioning, we know through the last 10 years, you know, the way that magazines have had to reposition themselves, not only in terms of kind of technology and their audiences and changing cultural kind of outlooks, but also in terms of the financial models and so on. And I can still remember when magazines I was buying five, 10 years ago suddenly started getting these wraparounds and kind of, oh, this is, you know, sometimes the most beautiful part of the magazine tend to be, turned out to be a kind of sponsored supplement how did you negotiate that through your editing life was that were you just kind of chilled about it or were you rigorous about it you know I wasn't chilled about it I think I remember standing up shouting in a few meetings literally standing up yeah, going, now the time so, for a few times yeah. <laughs> some bad analogy about moving de uh, deck chairs on the Titanic or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. Shout out. but um um I ask because I think yeah. this is useful for students because they're desperate to have writing jobs, desperate to have, you know, whatever, and the, the glamour of magazines. But actually, you know, they've been cursed with the education from us saying, well, there's such a thing as integrity and objectivity and advertising should be over there, but yeah. actually it's getting more complicated. I wonder how you've negotiated that. It's difficult. You sort of... Um you keep focused on... I mean, I've always had to... So when I started out, it was like, it was just the end of sort of like traditional print and it was going digital. And I think, I think that was the really 
that's been the sort of the, the sort of the thing that I've sort of navigated for the last ten years. And I think magazine houses, yeah, I think what magazine houses have uh, is just absolutely amazing brands. You know, that's what they've done. Whether so, these brands they've just got so much. Like, say, it's like it's equity in the brands. So somebody like Esquire or men's fitness or uh, grazia and people GQ. like that gq yeah i mean these are these are huge titan brands that people trust and i, I do think they have you know the, the such influencer is like a really sort of like hot word at the moment i think people forget the amount of influence that these brands still have you know they're they're sort of their seal of approval on a product or on a hotel or something like that it counts for so much and I think that's the skill of sort of the great sort of journalists and great editors down the line, you know, and great sort of brand owners. But where I think they've gone sort of, where I think they've been a bit slow on the take up is the move to, that I think they were too married to one platform, to, to one, to print. And if, by just focusing on that, they can actually sort of diminish the brand over time. And, um, you know, and I think now actually some of the best, some of the big houses, I don't think, you know, they've, they've left it quite late, but not too late. And I think, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, Esquire have just launched Esquire Townhouse. So it's like you know, it's an immersive experience where you can go there. Uh, Cosmopolitan, brands like that are doing events. And, you know, they're all selling on this sort of like great, trusted, uh, authentic uh, voice that they've created. And I think that's, and that's really, really sort of like an exciting time. But... It definitely means that the skill set of the journalist and the editor mm -hmm. has, has changed. But I mean, stuff still has to be subbed. Still, stuff has to be look. <coughs> still has to look great in print. And does the editor have a bit? I was just thinking. Just yeah. reminded me. We're, we're producing, not our department actually, but the, the university is partnered up with Red to produce um, short courses in vlogging and blogging. Yeah. Really interesting. You like so Red are like an educational mm. provider now. I mean, obviously they're just fundamentally the marketing arm for it and the branded kind of trusted kind of words and pictures and video kind of thing but I wonder whether or not the journalist role in this kind of brand these brand empires I mean you've you've sort of survived maybe because you've adapted and become more of a brand manager or have you have you compromised have you learned to be a marketeer have you been I'm just wondering if I just think that was always me you know that was world. always me because I was like I did my dissertation here at Falmouth on uh, it was on, on how the Labour Party rebranded itself to create a relationship with the, uh, with the Sun, uh, with the News International Group. I was just really interested how political party could sort of like re sort of like reposition itself and change its sort of like all its sort of baggage. And that's, so that's, I think that's actually just a passion of mine. Of like, but I see it as it's creative, and you know, and I think it marries with the words, and I think it's all just one one picture. I mean, they're they're they've always. Magazines, newspapers have always been businesses. They've got to be sort of viable. Uh, so, you know, and I, and I think a good editor, you know, look at, um, what's his name? Uh, um, GQ, he's been there ages. Dylan, Dylan Jones. Jones, you know. Like, I mean, I'm not a big fan of mm. British GQ, but you can't, under, you know, he's done a great job mm. of running a business there. You know, that's a, that's a great, uh, you know, and I think all, I think good editors understand that they're, they're I mean, it's, it's a, you're running, you're marrying the, got to run that business and create a great sort of product without 
compromising too much, but there's always going to be a bit of give and take. Just picking up on, sorry. Yeah, yeah, just I was, I was just going to say the same. I was just going to sort of chime in there. It's, it's really interesting that you know journalistic integrity still has to exist because if you don't have the integrity within the magazine, you can't have a brand. So in order to promote a brand, whatever it is, you've got to not be promoting products, not because people see through it. The moment you start promoting something that you're writing about, people see through it. So in order to create integrity, you have to create honest content that clearly isn't trying to sell something. Um, and that's always the challenge, even with your, what you're doing with your branding work. It's just, and in fact, I set up a business, funnily enough, a bit like yours before I moved down here and had babies. Um, And similarly, you know, my business partner went off and and carried on doing sort of website and branding for companies. Um, And the most important thing is to try and make sure that the content, even if you're doing content for a brand and you're being paid to produce their content, it still has to come across as really honest. And that's a real craft and it's hard to do and I think it's so easy to slip into sort of hyperbole and sort of advertising speak and and PR speak and there is still um, a place for sort of journalistic writing as you were saying. What do you look for in modern journalists if (coughs) one of these guys came for a job with you what would you be looking for? You're always on the lookout for good, talented people coming through. You know, what do you mean by good, talented? It var- you know, varies. I would say like journalists are like, you know, like trump cards, where like top trumps, top trumps, yeah, but you know, they've got like their got like different Star skills. Rating, like, you yeah. know, one might like be really just a funny writer, one might be really good at research. You know, they'll have all they'll all be different, and it's so. Like, people are going to come with a different skill set. I suppose that first person, you know, when they're first coming into the industry, you know, the most thing that I look for is just like that they're keen and they're interested. You know, even if their copy's not perfect or just that they've got, like, just had somebody recently come in and he came in on a bit of a marketing role in the company and he just, like, kept badgering me saying, I want to write some stories. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he just went and wrote them anyway. He did, like, a, an edit of his favourite suede shoes and... Uh, best luxury hampers at Christmas and he just went and wrote them and you know there were some really nice bits of, some bits weren't perfect but there was some nice tone and he'd really worked really hard on it and that's just like you just know that he's going to go far because yeah. there's, there's not many people like that you know it's really it's a, you know it's, it's rare and you know if you've got that that sort of enthusiasm you know putting yourself out there then it just it really really stands out same question, Fiona? Uh, exactly the same thing. I mean, I, even just through my experience of watching what happened on, on magazines as I was working and who got the jobs, you know, what writers got employed, it was always the people who would take a punt. They would produce stuff. They wouldn't just turn up and go, oh, hello, here's my CV. Uh, I haven't got much experience, but please take me. It would be, they would come at you with stuff. So it, it takes, I think I said this to the group I spoke to before, it's really all about confidence, just believe in yourself, flipping through it out there. If you might not think it's good, an editor might go, yeah, but well done. Actually, I like your idea. You know, you need you need fine tuning, but you're there. And the main thing is for us always, is always enthusiasm. Someone who's got commitment and enthusiasm, got to be keen. And you've got to really want it really badly. 
I say you've got to have confidence in the eye, because I'm not a very confident person at all, like, and still not confident in myself, <laughs> but I'm always confident in my idea, mm. I'm, like, committed to the idea, like, I think that if I've got an idea for a story, even if I'm not sure if I can write it, mm. or, or mm. if I'm not very good, it's like, I just, I just believe that story is great, that needs to be told, and that's the main thing, so even if you just, you don't have to be, like, arrogant about it, but if you've got found, you know, I think a good journalist, you find a story, and you just, like, yeah, just believe in that, and commit to the story. So people yeah. you work with at the minute come to you sort of replete with fantastic writing skills, fantastic social media skills, m- multimedia skills. Does that shape your thinking at all, or are you you're still looking for that person who you think they're malleable, like they can they can do this, they can spot what skills they're good at? What do you look for? Um, it just it just varies from from person to person, but definitely nowadays, sort of like, so, you know, I was saying today that I look at their, you'll often look at uh, somebody who applies social media to see, because you just get a sense of what that person is. They so, post loads of bad pictures. Yeah, you know, and I'll ask people to sort of supply their sort of like the work they've done, but, you know, increasingly, in the stuff that I work in, it's that the job is very visually related, you know, in, I would say to like journalists, like, there's, if there's no pictures, there's no story, and so I'll often look at their Instagram and you just get a sense whether they've got a, a visual eye. I mean, sometimes, you know, if they, if they come to you and they can write, like, A.A. Gill, then it just, like, doesn't matter if they can't, you know, if they, they can't, they're terrible with yeah. imagery. But, you know, I think these days, especially with the younger people coming through, you know, they'll have to go on a shoot and they'll be a videographer, they'll be a photographer, and they, they need to have that uh, awareness. You know, this, that's the thing, like, it's interesting hearing everybody, like, talk about InDesign today and how hard it it is. I just think you need an awareness of InDesign. You know, it's highly unlikely that you're probably going to be designing a magazine. You'll have a designer to do that. But a journalist that can understand how their how their words are going to live in different platforms is in a much much stronger position than somebody that just um, yeah that isn't prepared to embrace it. Plus, the more skills you get, the more confident you feel. You know, it, it, it doesn't matter what what skills they are within your industry. If you understand more about that industry, you will have that confidence to go. Okay, well. My idea a bit harder, so, but I think it's more it's more about having it's more than having ideas. You know, we've all got brilliant ideas that we come up with all the time, but it's about actually having the balls to not just email someone and go, "I've had an idea for a feature and it's this." Flipping, write it, go and do it, or start it off, um, set it up, or whatever. Mm. And I think that makes such a big difference. I find that people don't understand the difference in a a story and an idea as well like people or, or a subject people often come to me with like a subject that's really interesting but I go but what's the what's the story mm-hmm. you know you've got to like turn it into turn it into something that's like interesting to engage with so today there's like stuff on palm oil and it's like yeah that's a really great sort of relevant mm. relevant issue, issue. Mm. but where's the story you know like how are we going to tell this what's because everything's been told a million times and it's just like what's that what's that sort of unique take on it you know, what access have you got to something that's different? Or even just a, a viewpoint that's different that you haven't seen represented much that, that could change the way people think about palm oil. For example, palm oil, I found out, I'm, I'm sure everyone knows this already, but I found out recently that the reason that Britain doesn't want to be part of, oh, doesn't want to accept an EU ban on palm oil is because Britain sells so many arms to Malaysia and they're being twisted by <laughs> Malaysia to say, well, you know, if you ban palm oil, can't sell arms to us. So, and our arms 
industry is huge, you know, we're basically dependent on it. So that's a story inside of an issue. Yeah. And that's where you get your story. And it was reported in The Independent in May. doesn't matter because you can make a story out of it. In fact, I'm going to connect that to my Cool Earth article. Yeah. <laughs> how do you get ideas? I mean, how do you... Do you, do you follow news? Do you read newspapers? I, I have... So I have the Guardian sort of news website pops up. So whenever I go on safari, the Guardian news website pops up. So I kind of read the headlines every time I'm on the computer almost. Um, but I follow... My most thing is Twitter. I get most of my information from Twitter and I follow loads of journalists and activists and people who talk about things I'm interested in um, and then I I don't know I think it's contacts you know we were talking a lot about contacts you know I think all of your life is about networking um, you meet someone they mention something you think mm. and especially in it, when you work in a region magazine it's so important to talk to people in your region you know, every time I go for coffee with someone, someone, one of my mates will come up with an idea. Oh, have you heard about, you know, Cool Earth or whatever it is? And I get ideas just from friends. I get ideas from interviewees. So I'll be interviewing someone, you know, some really influential person. And they'll say, oh, you have to meet, you know, this guy who runs Crowdgy, for example, which is, I don't know if you know it, it's in, oh, yeah, in Redruth. It's yeah, a big, yeah. big creative centre in Redruth. And so I, I was introduced to that guy and I interviewed him and wrote a piece on that. And so it's just this sort of constant flow of just being in touch with people who are making changes and then they put you in touch with other people who are making changes, sometimes in completely different realms and different industries. Do you go to networking so, functions and things like that? Because they can be quite painful, but it's a really good way to meet people and to find stories. I'm terrible at those. No, me too. Well. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't go there. But, you know, if you, if you feel confident enough to go to them, do it, because I, I can't find it really hard. I think, I think you've just got to be a bit of a sponge. There's just stories floating around everywhere. Yeah, exactly. And, and I, thought, I think I do really clearly remember that when I was down in Falmouth thinking, like, ah, oh, it's just like so hard doing stories down here. They're all in London, and like, just couldn't have been more wrong. There's just so many more weirder stories in Cornwall. Amazing. You yeah. know, like I was talking to the guy in the taxi uh, coming to down to Falmouth, not from London, from Truro. <laughs> <laughs> not that <laughs> flash. Uh, and he was saying like, oh yeah, this thing is set on fire. You know, somebody wanted to build some student housing, uh, well, and it my set. Taxi and it was, driver was was your guy called Winston? I'm not sure. I think that's his name actually, but. Yeah. It was a pub that were like, and it burnt down. And I said, you know, it's funny because any time that somebody can't get planning permission in Falmouth for something, it always seems to mysteriously burn down at some point. And he just goes, yeah, that's so true. I've not, the dumps burnt down and there was a hotel. There was St. Michael's. Was and like, yeah, and it's just going, it just seems a lot of things burn down in Falmouth when there's like, and it's just like, God, there's a story, you know, and... It's so true. It's exactly yeah. what this guy is. a different taxi. Oh, right, yeah. It happens because he's not Cornish, yeah. but he was saying the same thing. Take more taxi. Things keep getting burnt down. Uh, so talk to taxi drivers. Um, <laughs> and then, apologies, like, I think, I, can I tell an anecdote about the magic mushrooms briefly? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, sorry, apologies if you've been in one of my talks before, but that was an, So when I first started out, I went and did work experience at the Nottingham Evening Post. And the, the night before I started, I went round to my friend friend's house and they were all taking magic mushrooms. <laughs> I didn't take them. Some, two, not, no, I didn't. Not, I'm too, uh, I'm too uh, well, I didn't actually. It's joking. Yeah, no, but they're all like, so where did you get those magic mushrooms? And I don't know, we bought them from a shop in Nottingham. And they're like, but how can you do it? And it's like, I think just sell them in the shop. They're like, 
it's all fine. And then, so I went to the, I just couldn't believe it. So I went to the start of the Nottingham Evening Post the next day. I was just doing a week there. And they said, like, and I just go to the guy at the desk, and like, I've got this story. Um, and if you want to write about it, you do loads of, like, boring stuff about refuse collections and stuff like that. <laughs> and then I go, well, you can buy drug, class A drugs, legally in a Nottingham shop. <laughs> um, again, they didn't believe me. They didn't like me that much, said that I couldn't, couldn't write either. And uh, they were, and I was like, no, no, you can buy, because I went, and, they, and then, so I went and bought the drugs, went and bought the mushrooms. We took them to Nottingham University, got them examined by a guy, and he's like, no, these are, like, bona fide, like, uh, hallucinogenics. And it turned out there was this loophole in the law. It's where, yeah, 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 so it was like... Unprocessed. That's right. Yeah. So if they were fresh, that you could keep... So if they were fresh in this, like, cool box, you could sell them legally. So it was like... And they were like... So I developed the story, and they rewrote it a bit, but never mind, still my byline. <laughs> uh, and then that day... So I finished on the Saturday, and was back working in a call centre at Calagas. And uh, it was on the front page of the Nottingham Evening Post. Wow. And it was like... It said, you can buy... <laughs> it said, you can buy these... Uh, mushrooms were twelve ninety nine, and then brackets and uh, and twenty five years in jail because once you process them, they became illegal or something like that. And then, and then the Daily Mail picked it up. They syndicated it. Daily Mail picked it up the following week. Then the Guardian picked it up and it was on the cover. Then it got debated in Parliament, and then they shut down the loophole in the law. So. And did that give you went back to the <laughs> and your friends stopped talking to you? Yeah, yeah, my friends are like, you know, that's why they can't get them anymore. So yeah, but you went back to the call centre to selling gas or whatever it was, did that, getting that front page, did that give you the confidence to think, I'm going to stick with journalism? Oh, I don't know, you know, like, I don't know if you, maybe I'm just fragile or something, but you're just constantly questioning yourself mm. and like, you know, but it, just these little wins that you get that, that, yeah, it was just like, oh, it's just it's so nice to get a byline, you know, it was always like mm. a thing, it's just like, oh God, I did that and, you know, and that was just really, really exciting, you know, and actually sort of forget sometimes because this guy that did the, the suede shoes story he was just so excited and he sent it to his mum and it's like god yeah it's like that that sort of first byline is really really amazing you know and actually still get that I've just had something published on think with google and it's like international and it's like it doesn't have my byline unfortunately but i'm still sending it around and like yeah we did that for google it's amazing you know and it says that sort of like yeah that's uh, i think it's nice seeing your stuff and that, i think that you know for me it's like it's uh, it's just getting you so I'm dyslexic as well, so it's always like it's, it's a really painful process writing, but it's always like it's, writing's the process. I would say that writing's the process you have to go through to get your story. You know, it's like mm. just trying to tell a story, mm. but it just happens that you have to do it via mm. via writing. Or, you know. Could you just briefly talk about your writing process? How do you write, both of you? Because I procrastinate for ages, do the dishes, clean the windows, and then think I've got two hours. I've got to get this done. Do you, are you similar? How do you work? Are you quite methodical? Do you plan it? No, well, my writing process is all about the transcribing, strangely, so I'll interview someone. So most of what I do is, is based on interviews, so, you know, different, different writers write about different subjects, and sometimes they're just sort of fairly sort of research-based, but mine's always stories about people, um, <clears throat> based on people. So my first thing is I will transcribe, and I am so... It takes hours, and it, I am so methodical about it, and I will even like correct my own spelling errors as I go, which takes about six times as long. And I can touch type, so I'm sort of fairly okay there, but it's long, but somehow what the process of transcribing writes the article for me. And it's almost like I don't even need to highlight stuff while I'm, while I'm typing. I know what quotes matter 
and I hear it and I see it and there's like a sort of formation that happens in my head. Finish transcribing, I'll give myself a couple of days of, you know, doing other stuff, mm. procrastination stuff. And then I sit down to write it and it literally just comes out and I will write 1,200 words in an hour. And it's done. That's my process. And do you check it? Obviously double check being a previous chief. I'll check it. I'll like, brilliant. <laughs> yes. it brilliant. What do you think? I'll change it if you want. What about the same <laughs> process in general? Uh, I learned how to overcome it when I was at Falmouth, actually. So I found, like I said, found writing really slow, laborious. I mean, still find painful. And But when I was doing my dissertation, I just that's where I sort of learned it. I just thought, right, you've just got to write. And then I think, to my process, is just don't not write. Just keep writing. And it doesn't matter if you write... 7,000 words of rubbish and then cut it down to 500 words that are good. It's mm, just like, it's mm. better to just write because there'll be something in there, but just mm. sitting there going, can't do this, or agonising over, agonising over a sentence is like the worst thing you can do. So it's just best to just keep going and then c- and come back to it. So, and edit, 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 mm. a million times. But that if, but if you don't do that first bit, then... I mean, everybody's different, and that's like the way your brain works. It is very different. Like literally, everybody who writes writes differently. But everything I've ever heard is the same as what you say, which is just do it, just sit down, do it, get it out. Even transcribing is part of that process. It's like just sit down and write stuff down, and that's like if you don't do that, you'll never get anywhere. But I'd say that with like doing your dissertations or essays, just do it. Like because if you just sit. I remember like practically crying over a, a two thousand five hundred word essay in like my second year or first year, and then by the end when I was in my dissertation, I was just like in, in flow doing like not being able to stop at fifteen thousand uh, words or something like that. I think I did that. I only had to do twelve, and I did about twenty thousand or something <laughs> like that. Lots of editing. Yeah, no, but I actually no, I handed in the twenty thousand. No, but yeah, they did I, got, I still it got it. Please yeah. don't encourage that. <laughs> 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 it was a good. No, it's still. Well, I'm still proud of that. Actually, it's a good piece. Just looking at the magazine and through the sort of broader spectrum, print has dropped. We had the good days of print when print was absolutely flying. What do you think the future of print is? Do you think print print will keep going into decline? Do you think digital magazines will take off? which has always been reported but n- don't seem to have done. What are your feelings on the decline in print, circulations, whether the magazines can, magazine industry and businesses can sustain that? You go first because you're in the, in the business. Um, <laughs> so the industry, I just think the industry is totally different. It's just in a rapid change, you know, like a rapid period of change. And like I said before, I think the brand's, are really healthy. I think storytelling is as relevant. It's always relevant, but it's always changing. And so, I think that's sort of like mass market magazine is obviously like it can't that that model of like seller like when I FHM sold a million, it, it, yeah it sold yeah. a million copies a month yeah. for like I mean, three pounds yeah <clears throat> and like, you know, they were flying around on private jets and yeah. and you know <laughs> to go to shoots and. A million copies at three quid or whatever it was, and then advertising on top of that. By the time I went, it was selling eighty thousand copies, and right. I think like you know, I mean, if that you know fifty thousand, so you know, and so all every print magazine, I think, just about has declined in sales. Although, but then I private eye hasn't. Yeah, it's one of the influence. And then I heard on Radio Four though that some like I think Wallpaper and Vogue 
have had like some of their best year yeah. in like a long time. Yeah. So it feels like we. I, I think. I think it's turned a corner, but I definitely think that the the healthiest area is like expensive premium because I think that's what print does really well. I think mm. you know they're really Tactile. sort of like yeah. Got to touch it. Serial, kinfolk, Frankie type of magazines, yeah. expensive paper. And rarely they, a lot of them don't, that they don't make money from the print product though, but the mm. print product is the, I would say it's like the heart and soul of the brand, mm. but it's not the heart of the business usually, it comes from other places, but the business is nothing without that sort of, mm. that thing at its core. So I think it's a, for journalists, for aspiring journalists and content creators, it's a, it's a good time to go in and be cheap as well do you think yeah. more magazines will close though because obviously you know there's when print drops when print magazines drop circulation drops so much it still cost to print it distribute it yeah well I've so, got I've got friends at shortlist magazine and they got the, they got the called into a meeting a couple of Fridays ago mm. and told that it was it was shut so that was 20 jobs gone wow. on a massive title and they've got okay. distribution of half a million a week or something ridiculous wow. like that you know and they've got advertisers like links and uh big brands, Procter & Gamble brands and stuff, and, you know, and I was, that was, I think that's shocking, so it seems like there's still, it's still, it's a dangerous, yeah, it's dangerous, but I think those big brands, you know, it'd be a travesty if some of those brands go, you know, like, great, like, Empire is a great mm. brand, you know, great mm. film brand, mm. but obviously, they, obviously, they've got to work out how they exist in this, in this mm. different world, because their the business model is different, but it still needs talented people to tell those, to help the story and to work on them. So. Same question. I mean, you work on a low circulation magazine it's in a way. Really uh, interesting working on sort of the other end of the scale. So I've wor- I've always worked on sort of either um, contract or customer magazines. So they are very much sort of served by their client, and so it's fine. It's quite easy, like AA magazine or Jeep magazine. Um, the content is very safe, and those magazines are very safe, and it's very strong industry to be in and they actually do want high sort of content with high journalistic integrity they don't want anything that looks like they're promoting jeep because they're sending it out to all their jeep members anyway so they actually want it to be more honest so that was quite interesting big money making area of the industry i don't think it's going down at all mm. um and then there's lifestyle magazines or, or um on the shelf magazines and i worked in lots of those like you did and I think um, back in the day when I was working there, it was it was like that private jets and all sorts of nonsense <laughs> going on. Looking editors, <laughs> secret daughter club, yes. <laughs> <laughs> free drugs. I don't think I'm going to edit bits of this out. I think on the, for the podcast, <laughs> not free drugs on the front of the magazine. Cover mounts. Cover mounts. That's right. However, um, now working completely other end, right? We have such a tiny budget. You know that what we can pay writers is very poor, although. It seems as though it's not that far off the industry standard anyway. Could you give a sense if you of what want to know, that it's is? £150 for a 1,200-word article, um, and photographers don't get paid mm. the rates they should be. Uh, models, we do pay f- full price for, and that's where all our money goes, annoyingly. <coughs> they should give me the money, take the models out of the magazine. <laughs> um, <laughs> However, it's really interesting because I'm, I'm much more in touch with the business side just because I hear it from the editor all the time. She's the editor, she's the publisher, she's the advertising salesperson, she does it all, and she runs the style sheets, all the photography. 
Um, and it's amazing that we've even survived with mm, three and a half, nearly four years old. Most people predicted it would be under in three months, and most new magazines go under in three months. And it's still going, and miraculously, it's still going. And it's mainly because we do it on a shoestring, and because our content is loved, amazingly. You know, we've been up for, nominated for these awards for content, and, and I think what's keeping us afloat is the fact that the advertisers really liked our content, and they continue to like our content. And our advertisers, unfortunately, in this region, it's always going to be estate agents because no one else has got any money to spend on advertising. But we're literally, we're, not, we're just about breaking even every year. We are, we're not a money-making business. And everyone I've spoken to um, and advisors have just said, don't even bother continuing with it. Stop trying. We're, we're going for crowdfunding at the moment. And one of the advisors said, don't bother. Why go for crowdfunding? You don't have a business model that's sustainable. So you'll get an influx of money, and then what? You still don't have a sustainable business model. But we're still going. And this seems to, to be... It's a sort of, it, yeah. it's a sort of um, an example of the whole industry. It's like everyone keeps saying it's going to go under, and yet it's still going. You go into Smith's, and there were tons banks of, of magazines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, admittedly, 90% of them are sort of product placement magazines, you know. And a lot of special, there are more specialist magazines out there than there ever were before. Um, and, and many of those are funded by sort of product placement. But the industry is still alive and it's still healthy. And yet there's always people going, no, but you know, it's all going to go digital. It's all going to die. It still hasn't. And then there's, really, still, there's still jobs in digital, obviously, as well. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah, some yeah. good websites exactly. out there. Like, well, can yeah. you expand on digital magazines? Because one of my questions is that it was always reported that digital magazines would take off as print mm. dropped, mm. and they've not really actually. I saw some statistics recently where they've just plateaued. Really? So could you talk about what your thoughts are about digital magazines, how digital magazines could improve, how digital magazines could take away from print? Um, I, mean, I don't know what the state of the market is and digital magazines. I mean, it's not flat. Is it? Yeah. Really I mean, flat. You know, like, flat. it yeah. was always the big sort of like hope within the yeah. publishing houses that people would like, everybody would have an iPad mm. and everybody would be paying subscriptions for digital, digital <coughs> versions on their, uh, yeah, on their various devices. But I don't think that ever sort of materialised in the numbers that they thought, you know, they thought they'd be having a million copies of uh, FHM and the likes on those. And that, I just didn't, because I think where, for me, where they got it wrong is they tried to ape the sort of page-turning experience mm. on a digital device, mm. and it was actually like websites, the structure is just so much better for, for reading content on a screen. So I think, I just think it's a bit sort of misleading to say, like, digital magazine, like, because then you just imagine, like, a print magazine. Yeah, they've just downloaded PDFs. Yeah. Done that those times, yeah. But where, where I work with, like, brands or with uh, editorial products is, like, just start, I was... I, don't know, I think it's true, but I would say, like, oh, it just starts with a really good story. You know, like, you start, like, platform neutral, and you go, we've got a great story, and let's try and work out how it's going to live on the various channels that we've got, you know, and that's, so it has to live on digital, it's going to have to live on social media, and hopefully, if you've got a print product, it'll live in print, and so it's, um, yeah, and, it, and the, the storytelling is different for, for each, each channel, but... So I think the sort of the magazine sort of storytelling still works digital, but digital magazines a bit. Because you print Gentleman's Journal, that's a conscious decision. Is there a plan to turn that? And I've got the same question for you in a minute, Fiona. Is there a plan to turn Manor into a, invest into a digital publication? 
Well, it's digital in that everything that goes in the print magazine goes online as well, but it's not. But it's, but it's just not replicating the PDFs, as in you're not making it interactive. No, no. Well, I'm just like, but, but it might because it be it might be a story that we've done with like a celebrity, and then we'll do a video with him as well or her, and there'll be we'll often tell like so we did a big thing with ASAP Rocky, but then we did like when we when it went when it's online, it, the storytelling is different because it's more sort of bullet form and there's video with it. So it's not like it's just we had an opportunity to interview ASAP Rocky. So this is what it looks like in print, and it's absolutely beautiful, really sort of like thick, deep copy. Uh, online, it's like ten things we learned from our, <laughs> our uh, you know, a day in New York with ASAP Rocky with a, a cool video, and it's like, you know, that's that's how it is, you know. So it's. Do you, yeah. do you think it's do people have both, or would people just interact with the online version having not seen or interacted with the magazine? Is it is it supposed to be standalone, and and if so, how many people would go to it as a sort of standalone thing? Well, I think. Digital, well that, that's, I think that's the big change actually, is that digital is the mass market now. Right. So that's where, that's where so most people, people are going to just actually, go straight there yeah. and not access the magazine. Yeah. The, mm. the prick, and the, you know, the numbers show it because you get like a million visits to the website right. and the magazine, you know, there's a fraction of that. So mm. the, the magazine, but there's still, a, there's still a, you know, enough people out there to, that want nice, nice print. Mm. But then the, the mass market, the big mm. numbers are all in digital. Yeah, I definitely think the magazine is the shop window. You know, that's that's, you know, how you you maintain your brand, how you you get respected almost to have a physical magazine. So with Manor, the reason we're going for crowdfunding is so that we can invest in digital, and have a more sort of interactive digital magazine. Um, who knows if it'll work? I mean, I think our Readership basically, the magazine gets delivered to all the five star hotels and luxury accommodation in Devon and Cornwall. That's where it gets read most. That's where the advertisers love us being because they think, Yes, we've got all these high net worth individuals. <laughs> where in reality, it's just full of freeloading yeah. journalists. So, I think I've idea. seen Manor, and there was always sort of, when I was freeloading in the hotel. Read it covered yeah. because it was such a boring mm. hotel to be in. But anyway, so there is a captive audience, and you get a lot of readers supposedly per issue. Um, and so, if that's our market and that's what the advertisers like, being digital isn't a massive benefit to us. Um, although it could bring in a completely different audience, which is interesting. And the other issue is for us is distribution. Because we're a, a solo magazine, we're not produced by a publishing house, it costs a fortune because mm. you haven't got print numbers to be able to <coughs> surf off the back of. So you know, you, you'll get a big publishing house and they've got bazillions of different brands, different magazines, all being printed and then being distributed in the same lorry. And we're just one little tiny magazine. So distribution costs a fortune. We get so what happens is the magazines get sent to the news agents or whatever. And if the news agent doesn't sell, you know, three copies in a local village store, they send them all back and go, don't send that again. Mm. And that's the end of that. I mean, even Smith's in Truro is supposed to be holding it and it doesn't. Um, so we we struggle massively with distribution in and that and actually that is our shop window. You know, we need people in the region to be going, yeah, I saw that magazine. You know, I was in Smith's or Waitrose or wherever it is. I saw it. Once you get visibility, you get respect and recognition. 
um, and that's why physical magazines are still important. It's hard to get visibility online. You know, there's so much, yeah. so much there. Um, so it's, it's nice to have your shop window on the shelves. I was just going to ask, is anybody buying magazines here? Is anybody like an avid, avid reader of print? What are some of the magazines you buy? Just, is it just me that's going to have Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just a tumbleweed. <laughs> right, yeah. um, oh, God, all sorts. Um, I spend way too much. It's hard down here because there is, I like a lot of sort of independent stuff mm. and you get kind of ID from days. Mm. And Tank is maybe about as sort of out there as it gets down here. Um, so then I go up to London and come back with like £50 worth. And what's stuff. a book, some of the cycles? Um... Yeah, like ID Days, Tank, Wonderland, um, In Clover, um, Paper, I don't know, all sorts. I tried to buy something from, I went to Mag Culture last time and they were like, it's not got a price on it, it's quite expensive. And then they're like, yeah, £75? Because <laughs> um, I was like, no, it's fine, I'll just spend whatever. I had some, like, the last dregs of my sheet and I was like, no, I didn't have that much. Um, yeah. And are your, is your interest more design orientated or, or um, content or uh, written content orientated? Probably the design. It's mm. the you get the flick through and the yeah, yeah. imagery, and then later on you see what all the words are. So which is probably bad as a journalist. No, it's not at all. They've always said that though. No, but you yeah. also said yeah, that. Yeah, the whole. Even, you even as a solicitor, my yeah. job was to make yeah. sure that the words fit around the pictures. Yeah. You know, it's it's all about the yeah. image. No one's going to buy a magazine. No, no, you don't read it. You just flick through. And anyone else? Did anyone else have some? What, what sort of magazines? Well, I, um, I just I found the same problem, and you can't really find that many magazines down here in like, in for example, some things. So I do. I got a lot of subscriptions. I subscribed to Vogue, Cosmo Reporter. So I'm quite those kind of fashion. Yeah. So fashion is your interest. Yeah, fashion, is it? fashion lifestyle. Style, mostly, yeah. yeah. So I really get into that. You can see why they still exist, can't you? Because you just can't get that experience no, online. Really, yeah. you know, just because those pictures are just never going to look yeah. as good on a screen. Yeah. And it's so tactile, isn't it? Yeah. And, the, and the smile, like what you mentioned, like the content and the magazines that you... You know, tactile magazines are so more in-depth than what you could mm. get online. Like online, yes, it's interactive, but it's not as incredible as you could get mm -hmm. in like, the actual magazines. Do you want to say, yeah, go yeah. I've always lived down on this end of like the country, so I used to work for Tesco and I was in Cornwall. And I just think like the only way you need that magazine down here because it's mm. literally like basically you have that in London, but you don't have it down here. Mm. So like going to the hairdresser and seeing how long it takes out and it's just like awesome. Correct answer. Yeah, you can have a job. <laughs> Back to those premium magazines yeah. you can charge a lot for. Did anyone else have their hand up, or does anyone else, does anyone else buy magazines here? Yeah, I do buy them similar to Alex's. Oh, is it the same? And, and did you put? Yeah, same as Alex's. And sometimes like foodie ones as well, so like BBC or what I was interested in as well, we were talking about the digital versus the printer all together with, but um, you know, there's been tons of analysis to show that we read things differently on screens than we do on a piece of paper. You know, so when I go to a website, when any of us go to a website, you read 250 words and then you get bored. 
and you might read a little bit more if it's particularly engaging, but the majority of the time you don't tend to read. And like you were saying, it's all bullet points, isn't it? So it's, a, it's also about the sort of mental engagement that you have. It's not just the tactile thing. It's a, and you were saying, you know, when you read written content that's in-depth, a longer, you know, you would never read 1,500 words on a website. Just switch off because with something to do with the light, apart from anything else, just sort of staring at that kind of screen. And there's loads of analysis that's been yeah. done on it, hasn't there? But then I think that's when you're pitching stories, you have to think, think of what medium you're pitching for. So I get people, I do a lot more on digital these days, and I get people, particularly like younger journalists coming in, and they pitch like really long form, mm. in-depth stuff for online. And it's just like, you just... I just doubt, I just go, surely you wouldn't read this. It's like, you wouldn't, I don't believe. And they go, no, no, I would read it. And they go, well, find me something somewhere else so on the internet. Yeah, show me an example of some, yeah, something clickable with that same sort of thing. And it's like, and they can't find it, usually. And, but, so I think you've got to think about, yeah, the sort of like how you format the story. And then the same goes, so if you're doing something in print, like saw a lot of these magazine pictures today, and a lot of the stuff was like, I felt like it could be easily duplicated online. So it didn't have that stuff of like the brilliance of Vogue or paper or something mm. like that. You know, that, they just suit that sort of like lovely mm. paper. Mm. So you've got to think of, uh, yeah, for what you fit your story to the, the medium. Conscious of time. Um, so I'll hand over to you guys in a minute for questions to um, Joe and Fiona. But Final question for me, what advice would you give these guys, who both have long-term careers in the industry, what advice would you give them for getting their foot in the door? Get first. Oh, uh, <laughs> God. You've been there, you've graduated, you did Yeah, yeah, you're more you closer to these guys. guys. Oh, just like, I mean, sort of... You kept so calling we, people in phone boxes. Yeah, I mean, days. like... You've got to want to do something, you've got, there's got to be some sort of motivating factor. You know, for me, it was just that I liked the telling of stories and I just wanted to... I don't even know why I did it. <laughs> it's just, well, you know, it's just like, uh, you know, I like writing funny jokes. It's just like, oh, I've seen that in print. And so I just think to get your foot in the door, you just got to get out there and try and literally like, get your foot into the door in the office and meet people. Because there's always people that are looking for people and you just... Like, I had an interview that I needed to do on Saturday and I couldn't find anybody to do it. And... You know, you just want to be that person that when the commissioning editor or is looking for somebody to employ and needs somebody to do a job, they just go, oh yeah, I like that person. They mm. came in, they did an okay job. Like, it doesn't even need to be brilliant. It's just like they're reliable, they're good, and I like them. They seem like a nice, per decent person. So what advice yeah. would you have? Is that through internships? Is that work experience? How do you get work experience? How do you get to the point where you're persistent but you don't piss off? An editor, for but example. don't worry about pissing somebody off. It's just like, oh well, if you piss them off, guys, so, so yeah, I'll move on to the next editor. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I think like work experiences. I mean, th these days actually you've got the advantage of that if you've got a really shit hot blog or you know that so you that that can be you know if somebody contacted me and I went on their blog and it had a brilliant turn to phrase mm -hmm. they showed that they can mm -hmm. get out there they weren't afraid of talking to people they didn't they wouldn't need to do mm -hmm. an internship and just like shit this person is great I need to like you know that's somebody that I can't afford to miss out on they seem like you know real talent so you know like put and um, just experiment on a on a blog I'd say you know because it's it's Cost nothing, you know. Just write review your <coughs> review your dinner every night or something like that. Whatever it is, 
uh, and you'll just hone your writing skills and it puts you out there. And then, but work experience still uh, is, is the effective, yeah, most effective way. And these days, often it's paid increasingly, so that's quite good. That's been a good change in the industry. What, again, what advice would you give to those doing work experience? Obviously not to be too precious, you know, like you talked about earlier when you were editor, I was an editorial assistant, you make tea, do all the, go to all the press conferences, nobody else wants to go to all the shit jobs, um, <laughs> but you cut your teeth. It's too difficult. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just like, yeah, I mean, you just have to, you're at the bottom of the food chain when you start, and actually people just like it if you're sort of interested in them, I suppose, you know, people are like a bit, uh, you know, play to their ego a little bit, just ask them a lot of questions. Yeah. And I do find the difference between like, <coughs> good people coming I found that a lot of people can't I don't know if it's like the system that they come through but they find it really difficult when a copy gets changed or when the editor yeah. likes so yeah. you know I had yeah. somebody that was like I was saying like, I don't like I didn't even say I don't like this I said like you know like, I just don't feel this works and I, I'm as an editor I don't like repetition that's just something that unless it's there for emphasis you know if you've just got a lot of repetition I just feel like it ruins the sentence and I like, find another word and so I often speak to like a young writer and say take the repetition out and, so, and, and some people just can't couldn't cope with that where other people are like yeah okay you know they just might push back on some stuff the way they really believe in it but not everything and mm. it's just like learning that sort so of don't be too precious about your own copy yeah yeah and that's just that I didn't care that my story in the not an evening post got changed it was still my byline and then mm. you know still take credit for it 15 years later <laughs> same question Fiona getting your foot in the door that's uh, it's another thing that's a lot to do with your personality you know different people um can be very dri driven in different ways. So one of the pieces of advice is if you are particularly passionate about a particular type of magazine or a type of journalism, go for that. You know, really, you know, if there's one magazine you really like, say positive news magazines or something like that, just go into that one and keep writing to that magazine. So if you have that kind of personality that's quite focused and quite keen on going, yeah, but this is this is what I'm really passionate about. If, if it's the magazines you buy all the time, keep writing to them. Keep trying, keep trying, keep trying. Um, other people might not feel like they have that kind of like single-minded drive and they just want to try anything and go anywhere. Do that, but offer yourself up for free. Offer yourself up for interns. The thing that you need is contacts. When you get into the industry, you need contacts. You need to show that you're enthusiastic, that you've got skills that you're willing to hone and change and listen to advice and get people to tell you when things are crap and then keep working your way through people so I'm, I'm more of the second kind of person I've never been very good at sort of going this is what I want and focus on that I was much more like just anyone just take me you know I'm, I'm I, think I, was, I was the same really I was just like god I just don't want to go back to Caligas <laughs> no no I've got any like Caligas was about, they were very nice to me they gave me yeah. a mug when I left and everything <laughs> Uh, but I just like God, I just need to get paid for yeah. journalism. I just I just wanted to do something that I loved. Didn't matter how, yeah, as long as I could afford to eat. And it's just like I just want to, yeah. So going back to that, I'd say internships, yes, definitely. Um, and and that whole thing of like producing stuff, producing stuff, like find find things that you like doing. If you want to be a graphic designer or if you want to be um, a photojournalist or whatever, do stuff. Make the blog, make it visible. Um, and when you send someone your CV, you've got something online for them to look at and to read. So that I think there's, and that's stuff that we didn't have available to us when we mm. were first mm. going into the industry. No one knew what I was capable of. I was just a CV. Um, but it, it's all about people. It's such a people industry. You mm. just have to know people. You know, people came up to me after the last talk and said, oh, can I get an internship at Manor? 
if, if you don't come up and talk to me, you're not going to get one. <laughs> so it's all about that. Every time you meet someone who might help you get a, a foot in the door, go for it. Ask if you can have a go. It's worth it. Questions, guys? John Fiona here? You pretty much asked every single yeah. last <laughs> one. So, oh, so, yeah. no, I so, 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 I would say, I would say, go. You know, obviously, if it's a print magazine, you go through the uh, email addresses at the beginning. I would send an email because everybody knows they can. All, it's easy to send an email, right? That's not a struggle. If you don't get a response from that email, you have to make the phone call. You call up the central switchboard and you say, "Can I speak to whoever it is you've emailed?" And that's where it gets ballsy because now you sound like some pushy. Yeah, nobody phones anybody anymore, no. so it's like, God, you've yeah. got a phone in the office, <laughs> and then just a yeah. so you will stand out. <laughs> and, and, but then it's, it's about saying, then you reiterate what you said, so I, I sent you an email, it might have gone into your spam, it might have gone into your junk, this is how I do it. If, I, if I'm trying to find someone to interview, particularly if it's a celebrity, I'll often go through their website and there'll be a contact you know, email address maybe not a big celebrity, um, and I get that, you know, I get nothing, and I think, okay, give it a few days, and then I have to grab my balls, make that phone call, and it's absolutely vital that you do it, you follow up on your email, don't keep sending more emails, because it'll just get ignored, and you'll be that boring person, you're a voice, you're a human, you're enthusiastic, do it. And it's amazing how often it works. And yeah. it's very true. I don't know whether you ignore all these calls, but you know, <laughs> I always, yeah. because you're busy, you're busy, yeah, you've got yeah. somebody who sounds confident and they bother to follow up that email that yes indeed you have ignored or put yeah. into some little kind of self-folder or whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, okay, well that's great, well we'll see what we can do, maybe it's a week later when they follow up and you think, it's partly to kind of get them off your back but also finally because you, especially being English I think, mm. you know, whether you're trained mm. as a journalist or not, it's like, okay, they've, they've got to stay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. choose the name uh, of somebody who's written an article that you liked and refer to it in your email, say, I really like that piece you wrote yeah. about Liz. Yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking into that myself. I wonder if I can mm. kind of chat with you. Mm. Those kind of things, that sort of stuff. Because someone said before, actually, people that were actually quite flattered about the interest from people mm. who were starting out. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a kind of like a war between us, there's definitely. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, gins love talking about themselves. Oh, yeah. like, that's why we're here now. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I actually think like there's places like Vogue is just so difficult, like because they have such like rigid, mm, yeah. rigid um, schemes for like internships. I just don't know how you get. It seems so impenetrable, don't they? They are impenetrable. Yeah, frankly. So it's a, it's a struggle to get in there. But you had good housekeeping notice, didn't you? But that was like a six month wait to get your. Um, your... Actually, no. My but mine was I only got it because I had an evader. Ah, uh, because so we do yeah. good housekeeping notice. Yeah. Some of our students go there and they, they have to phone up for. April, maybe. Yeah, yeah, but I think like on the independence, it's easier to get in. Or if you're interested in like fashion, just go and help. Like I know, um, she used to work at GQ on the fashion desk, but now she's like a stylist for various people and brands, and she was stylist for Vogue. So just go and assist. 
just go like think of another way and so, so you can see if you can assist her because then you just get to meet people in the industry mm-hmm. be in and out of the magazines and so it's like it's like a <coughs> a backdoor in you know like so you don't and then it's, and again it's just like networking and sort of meeting people and if you're yeah I think yeah, if you're if you're interested not a nice person, it's actually like I actually think one of the great things about magazines is that it's full it's full of like nice people generally. Mm-hmm. People have told me TV isn't like that. People are like cutthroat. Mm-hmm. No, they're all like <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, magazines seem to be quite um, quite nice actually. So um, even the old editorial assistant thing works. I mean, yeah. editorial assistant always think is a bit like being a runner. Yeah. If you want to get into TV, become mm-hmm. a runner. Yeah. If you want to get into acting, I suppose you become. Uh, you, you work in the box office. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, assistant, we had a couple, this isn't the regional press, but you know, and some just were happy doing the kind of, it's a PA role really, mm-hmm. isn't it? Maybe sub-PA, but it's a kind of, you know. But I remember one particular success story who just was passionate, I don't know if she came in depend, decided, wanting to be a journalist, but she was just um, really passionate about sport. And just and a, and a fan of the club, uh, the local football team, started to kind of just wheedle her way into going and sitting in the press box, started to write some stuff, then it's like, I can't do Tuesday night, can you do it, Claire, all the rest of it. Um, a year later, she was on our NCTJ scheme, and, you know, um, so there are these back ways in. The other bit of advice I would give is, if you can sacrifice, think about Christmas and New Year, because a lot of people don't want to work in the next Very good point, mm. yeah. And yeah. if you can give up your Christmas day and your New Year and go and you'll, you know, you'll find yourself endearing yourself to a couple of other people. Mm. Yeah, another random but potentially interesting thing is if you follow magazines that you like on Twitter, this is so incredible, just about two days ago, somebody tweeted from Marie Claire, we need an intern on Monday. <laughs> Come back. And this is on Thursday. Um, That's really common, like to say, like, yeah, I see on my Facebook group, like, oh, we're doing a shoot and we need someone to assist. Yeah, like I know, so. it, it can come up. So, you know, if you're aware and you're willing to drop everything. All your studies. Seriously, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it might not yeah. be yeah. yeah. to drop the all. It was only, for, I think the job was for two weeks or something, just to cover for someone. But, you know, I actually offered it to a friend whose daughter is desperate to get into journalism and she's working in some fancy hotel in London at the moment. Um, and she, I said to her, get your daughter to drop her job and go and work there because working in a fancy hotel versus starting your career potentially at Marie Claire and at least meeting people and launching yourself is way more important than working in your sort of cool boutique hotel. And even if it means taking a pay cut, it's so worth it. Um, so she yeah, doing it? A, I I, have to I have no idea actually. Her mum sent her the message on Thursday night, so I don't know. I'll ask her. I mean, goodness, if it was tweeted, you know, by Marie Claire, which has goodness knows how many followers, the chances are a whole load of people applied mm. for it. But still, you know, it, it's always it's always a chance. So just yeah, keep, so that's quite a good thing. Follow the people you're interested in on Twitter, journalists you're interested in. Comment on stuff they're tweeting about. Get, get noticed. Yeah. I think it's always it's always I think it's really hard to remember this. Like whatever level you are, but it's just that people need you as much as uh, you, know, as much as you need that job. You know, mm-hmm. so they you know you you are you know we need to find new writers coming through mm. and like I said you know, content. yeah mm. and you know the industry is struggling so that's a good time to come in and be not be on 80 or 100 grand a year you know it's a good time to come in and be be cheap you know and like and learn you know and then build up your way through the industry so just think you know 
So it's just remembering like, that it isn't like they're not rewarding you because it's like, oh, you've earned this. It's like, no, I need somebody to solve this problem that I have. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, if you've got that skill set, whatever, wherever it might be, it's like, uh, yeah, know your value. But going on last week talking about sports shows, I echoed what you just said as well. If, if, if there's a topic of the day, something's been talked about in the sports world, comment on it. People, mm. Maybe write something about it. Have, have, have a voice out there. Mm. Tweet yourself out there. Obviously, copy all the other people are talking about it. And one day you might just get picked up. Yeah. This person is one of the people that speaks about that. Mm. And then this is how he started out. This is how he got his first. He started being called up by Five Live saying, I hear you are someone who talks about this. And he suddenly became an expert by just being yeah. out of the social media sphere on it. And people yeah, like Five. Yeah. The blog Sorry. thing seems really important yeah. as well. Mm. That, that's huge, mm. I'd say. Go on. Yeah, I was going to say, like, people like Vice, I think, will publish for free or for very cheap, so it might be just, you know, like, trying to find weird stories down here that they'd, uh, that they'd take. Obviously, it's not good to work really cheaply, but, you know, it's good to get your sort of name out. Foot, yeah, to foot in the door, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second, third Thank you. Any more questions? No? Okay. Maybe just have a mingle when you might... Another glass of wine. Another glass of wine. <laughs> We're going to have some dinner. But thank Same. you so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I get really paranoid if it's recorded. Oh, well, you've talked about magic mushrooms. Oh, and dragon juice. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I copy approval. Yeah.